Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm very excited for today's episode with Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali, I first encountered uh, on stage with Oprah, actually, at one of her Super Soul sessions at UCLA. She's a renowned clinical psychologist. Um, she has her doctorate from Columbia University, uh, which is also my alma mater in New York City. And she really specializes in the integration of Eastern philosophy and Western psychology. She's really a, a quite a beautiful bridge um, between the two. And what I like about what Dr. Shafali brings is she's bringing a fresh perspective on parenting. And though I'm not a parent yet, all of us obviously um, are sort of in between um, being parented and many of us at least becoming parents. And I think this notion of how you shepherd forth um, those uh, you bring into the world uh, is, is such a powerful conversation and how to integrate the lessons from our own parents and how we can become the best versions of ourselves and, um, and, and learn, frankly, from um, our progeny, our children. Is, is a question that's that sits deeply with me. And so I hope you find value in today's episode. We go really deep with Dr. Shafali on consciousness and conscious parenting. And um, I think you'll really enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by my favorite, Four Sigmatic. Uh, Four Sigmatic is an incredible uh, adaptogenic coffee, organic um, which is super important because so many coffees out there have uh, mycotoxins. Uh, conventional to- uh, coffees are oftentimes filled with things you generally do not want. Um, Four Sigmatic is organic. It's also blended with lion's mane, which is an incredible uh, mushroom that helps with uh, cognition and mental focus. I just had two cups of it. I'm feeling great. Um, and if you want to check them out, I also love their lattes. They have matcha. Um, check them out, foursigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com backslash peak, and you get 15% off. This episode's also brought to you by Organifi. Uh, I'm super stoked because I just got some of their new green juice, which I just had and, uh, and love, um, as well as their complete protein. I'm also currently doing their liver detox. Uh, they have tons of super high-quality organic supplements uh, for, the, for your healthy lifestyle. And uh, one of my favorite companies, check them out, uh, www.organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. If you put in Peak Mind at checkout, you'll get 20% off. Uh, two of my favorite brands, I reached out to both of them to ask them to be part of the podcast and uh, think very, very highly of them. Um, I think a lot of what I want Peak Mind to be is obviously giving you the best information, the best experts, but also the best products out there to help you live your best self. So, Without further ado, it's now my pleasure to introduce Dr. Shafali. Here with Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you, Michael. Yes, uh, we met at the Oprah event, Super yes. Soul Sunday, where you yes. were speaking on stage. My friend, uh, our mutual friend Marie Forleo, brought me, yeah. and I was really blown away by your speech. It was uh, very unique. It was a perspective I had not heard before. And it really struck me. And then when we ran into each other again a year later, I thought, given the way you're speaking about conscious parenting, I, I felt it was a message that needed to be out in the world. Obviously it is, but um, 
it was one I really wanted to, to share with my audience. So thank you for being here. Thank you. And could you start by sharing a little bit about what the notion of conscious parenting is? Sure. So it's really the idea that to raise a child, you have to raise yourself. And if you don't enter the parent-child paradigm journey, connection, relationship with the full-on intention that this is not about owning a child or raising a child to meet your needs, but this is really about an opportunity for you to elevate into a higher state of consciousness, to see, you know, to, to look at the, the, the relationship through the lens that this is your opportunity to elevate. And which parent does that? We don't do that. We bring children into the world mostly to raise them, to make them fit into some ideal or some fantasy that we have. So my parenting, my uh, the, the way I try to teach parents to be more conscious is to flip this on its head, is to reverse and undo the traditional parenting paradigm and create a new way to raise our children. I love it. What is the... What are sort of the tenets, if you will, of, of approaching parenting through a, through, a, through a conscious lens, right? If you're looking at your, your children as uh, teachers, mm -hmm. if you will, or as a reflection, mm -hmm. um, what are the ways in which you can approach that in, in a tangible sense as a parent? Yeah, it's hard to understand what I'm saying tangibly because it's not something that everyone immediately understands, mm -hmm. right? We're talking about consciousness. Consciousness is the ability to be present in the moment, to stay grounded in the here and now. Most of us live our lives out of the here and now. We live our lives in the past and forever engineered and machinated for the future. So learning to first live in the present is an art, is a whole discipline, a field of awareness that most people don't have. So everyone tells me, well, what do you really mean? What do you really mean? And I can't really tell them until you've experienced what it means to be in the present moment. That is the first portal to a conscious life, is entering your life in the here and now. So your child is having a tantrum, and instead of being in the past, as in what you thought your child should be doing, or in the future, what you all need to do in the rest of the evening, you enter the now and go, my child is having a tantrum. So you remove the, the, the conflict of the past and the future. Right? That creates conflict in you. It creates anxiety in you. You want to then manage the child. You want to control them to either fit your ideal that you had in your past or you want to take them toward your future. So instead of doing either, right, you, you stop getting pulled and you drop it and you enter the present moment and you say, my child is having a tantrum. Yeah, I can't cook dinner when I wanted to. I can't go to the movies with my friend. I need to enter this reality, which is a now tantruming, raging child. So now how do I connect? The instinct is to correct. The instinct is to control because we're pulled by the past and the future. But instead, it is what it is. Enter the as-is-ness, accept it, not accept it for passive surrender to it, but accept that it's happening, it's happening. And now ask yourself, how do I deal with it? How do I creatively, most imaginatively, joyfully deal and connect with the child before me? It's beautiful. It, it actually, as you were speaking, it evoked. I was I was with my with my parents actually for the last week um, at a farm we've been visiting, and as I mentioned to you, my father has dementia, which adds an an additional strain. Wow. So perhaps not analogous to a tantrum, but the the tension that it creates yes. is is profound. So, yes. but the beauty is, 
in the in the space of consciousness is that <laughs> he is extremely present. Yes. Extremely present. Yes. And 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 in fact, I I've been ch- choosing to working to see the gift of of the challenge, if yes. you will. But there was a moment in which, because of the tension that that brings in a very real way, right when you're relating to a parent who yes. has shepherded you through life, but yet is losing sort of their consciousness or, or at least their, their, their rational mind mm-hmm. consciousness. There's, there's a challenge in that. Now, and I understand what you're saying in regards to the lesson, but if, if, if I were to look from the lens of say a child, a grown child, as the case may be, how does, because I imagine this, this is a two way conversation. Right. What would you say for someone like me or, 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 uh, a young person that's working to relate to their parents consciously in regards to, uh, because I'm actually in a process in, in a way of almost like reparent, it's almost a reparenting, Amazing. which right. is a, which is a profound shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one really talks about that. But I don't know if you had any thoughts because I imagine the notion of how one would look at, <laughs> at the challenges before them, say if they had a child with a tantrum, um, could be somewhat analogous to the challenges we face as, as adults with our own parents. Yeah, exactly. Especially in our age now, we're you know we're finishing raising our young children. Now we're kind of raising our parents, mm. and I think, uh, like you said, the uh, uh, the impetus now is how do I reconfigure what I thought my parent would be, mm. and deal with the parent that I have? Because in your case, your parent is no longer the parent that you thought you would have. This is an entirely new parent. Have you met this parent before? I have now. Right. It's a, it's a parent you're just meeting. Yes. And each time you would go meet him now, it would be a new version of him. Mm. You can't rely on a stagnant, stoic, consolidated identity of who your parent is. What a genius lesson for you to always show up with a beginner's mind now. Mm. You can't show up expecting anything. So it is with parenting. Our problem is that we enter a situation with our children already with a script laid out. And the script comes from our movie, from our vision, from our fantasy. We don't even give the child a chance to emerge before we've already dictated its future to it. So entering the child's space with a beginner's mind is really the spiritual lesson of of a warrior, to drop, to surrender, to enter bare and open hearted for whatever shows up and then deal with it, right? But instead we impose on the reality all our past and our future and then we don't see the child in front of us. Like if you had entered your parents' space, your father's space, with the idea that he needs to be who you thought he needs to be, you would not see him for who he is. And then you would miss the lessons that he's teaching you now. Mm. Beautifully said. So in the context of, I think, what would, what would be considered a traditional paradigm of parenting, right? right? It is very much control-based, right? Yes. It's the parents' It's the parents' role and responsibility to... Um, to teach a young person how to be in the world. Yes. How does, how does, um, you know, and, and, and in a hyper-competitive, quote-unquote, at least as many relate to society, uh, world where, you know, mothers are fighting, you know, where I, where I lived in New York City, you know, to get their kids into the best right. preschool and right. kindergarten and all of the different um, ways in which we try to, you know, give, give our children the best, so to speak. How do you speak to that that mom or that dad in terms of a different way of viewing um, the shepherding that they can do for their children? Sure. 
Well, it's hard because the parent who is controlling their child comes from a traditional way of looking at parenting. They've been taught that they are at the higher end of the totem pole, that they are the ones in charge. They must not relinquish their chargeness. So these parents enter the parenting paradigm very much inspired. You know, they're not evil parents. They enter inspired by what they've learned. The, the tragedy is that what they've learned is full of hierarchical domination and tyrannical control. Little do they realize that it's all fear-based and it creates separation between child and parent versus deep connection. It's when I show them that their deepest yearning is for deep connection, then I show them how their control-based strategies is obscuring this deep connection. Then maybe they're willing to try out something new. But it's really hard for a parent to give up control because that's akin to them not being a good parent. They've equated caring with control. But caring is the antithesis of control. It actually goes against control and actually deepens and uh, creates a huge schism between parent and child. It actually obscures the ability of the parent to connect to the child. So ostensibly, this the tr traditional notion of what parenting is in many ways actually keeps us in a state of separation. Yes, yes. And this separation is what we're seeing in the violence in the world around us. It's the separation that the child experiences coming from the parent, right? That the child doesn't feel seen for who it is they are. So they have to separate from their authentic self. When they separate from their authentic self, they don't honor who they are. Therefore, when they go out into the world, when they meet someone else that they don't honor, they enter a separate reality from them. They don't enter oneness consciousness. They enter separation consciousness, which makes it so easy for xenophobics to exist, for racists to exist, for bigots to exist, because they are imbued with a sense of separation from birth, from childhood. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Actually, just before um, you arriving, I was uh, I popped up on my feed Brene Brown talking about um, her notion of, of story yes. and the fact that we, until we own our own mm -hmm. stories um, vulnerably, um, the, the desire to control or, or ignore that which is right. um, controls us. And she used that as a broader-based um, concept, <laughs> talking about what just happened, for example, in Charlottesville, mm -hmm. and um, the national conversation around owning our stories. Um, how do you feel in the context of parenting, right, wherein you're looking, because so many parents carry forth stories from their, their own mm -hmm. parents, right, mm -hmm. this sort of... Um, the challenges, the programs, oftentimes, unfortunately, still in this day and age, children are abused and they grow up and they've never really fully dealt with that abuse uh, right. or, or fully processed it. Right. And therefore, oftentimes it carries on from generation sure. to generation. Sure. So how can we, how can we, um, for lack of a better term, heal through or move through those, um, those stories that don't serve us so that they don't perpetuate beyond the next generation. Yeah, you know, it's really hard to convince a person who's so convinced in fundamentalist, separatist thinking that what they're doing is actually harming them. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they're actually believing that they're protecting themselves. They truly believe that this separatist way of thinking and acting is a protection. Mm -hmm. They are deeply mired in fear. So they are coming from that place, therefore they need blind protection. And hatred just creates that unilateral blind protection that's needed. 
So instead of feeling afraid of these people, we need to have deep compassion and empathy for them because they're mentally ill. They're living in cages, claustrophobic with fear, right? So fighting against them is kind of the most ludicrous thing to do because you're fighting with a quivering, shaking coward, an ant. However, they appear majestic because they have arms, but we have to see through that. So it takes us who are the conscious ones to be able to penetrate the disease that they live under. They're plagued with a terminal chronic illness. We need to have compassion and not raise arms against them. So what do we do instead? We have to enlighten the world through consciousness, through just through the, we proselytize not through reaction, we proselytize through example, just through the spreading of consciousness. It takes a longer time, but it doesn't create a more, a more ill-tempered world. Right, reacting against it just perpetuates it. Yes. So, so in that context, if if we are to move away from reaction, and we are to move into the moment as it relates to the challenges which are perennially brought to us, right? right? Whether it be from the world outside, or right. in the context of parenting from right. children, or in the context sure. of you know multi generational families, sometimes you know right, our, right. no one presses our buttons oftentimes more even than our the people that love us most. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we, what are the ways in which we can return, if, if you will, to self in those moments where we feel at reaction or triggered by sure. some of those external forces, yeah. right? Whether it be societally right. by those who are both ignorant and violent or whether it be in a more intimate sense with, with, with those who love us but oftentimes can, can, can trigger us. Yes. Well, you know, we can't depend on ourselves in that moment of trigger. Mm-hmm. If you hope that some magical solution will appear in the moment of the trigger, you're going to be subsumed under the waves and the torrents of your reaction. So you have to develop a practice that is the antidote that immunizes you so that when you're in the moment of deluge, you have some sanity. Don't count on having something just show up there. You have to inoculate yourself. You have to kind of boost yourself up. And the way that I boost myself is through meditation and through inculcating a deep reverence for humility of practice, of practicing mindfulness and boosting my immune system, my, my mental conditioning so it's inoculated so that in those moments I'm not just quick to give it up. So meditation is so powerful because it teaches you to have a pause. It teaches you to recognize the unconscious as it rises so that you become familiar with recognizing it in the other person. Right? So when they're unconscious, you understand and you don't go and run toward it like a magnet. You go, you are repelled from it. Mm. And you, you don't run away, but you just don't play. You recognize that this is their unconsciousness. Even though they're beckoning me, I don't get triggered. So if your child is losing it, you recognize that they are in a state of tizzy. Even though they're saying, I hate you, you recognize those are just words and you're not taking it in an inflammatory way. So meditation boosts you up with these muscles of detachment. So you don't get pulled in, right? It keeps you in the witnessing place. But you have to practice every day. Do you have a particular practice that you, or time that you recommend? Because I know a lot of, uh, and I've spoken with quite, quite a number of people about meditation. One of the big barriers is, of course, the, the notion of I don't have time. Right. Um, but carving out that time, is there is there a particular um, style of meditation or, um, or time uh, what, what, what would you recommend, for example, for busy parents, right. uh, a way in which they can practice so as to maintain that practice and build right. that muscle right. so as to maintain that right. sense right. Of, of, of space, if you will, between the reactivity? Yeah, yeah. 
So they have, you know, I encourage par- parents to not just start it on their own, but to maybe follow somebody or to take Oprah and Deepak's 21-day meditation or do a guided podcast meditation. So you start with a you know, structure. Because the, the thing that's scary about meditation is that it has no structure. So parents feel like, well, I'm not accomplishing anything. You know, this is too unstructured. This is just like laziness. And uh, they'd rather sleep because they're tired. But the, the power of meditation allows you to actually create more space in your life. You know, so the kind that I do is insight meditation called Vipassana, which just focuses on the breath. Um, I do it at night. People do it in the morning. It doesn't matter. You don't need a formal practice to practice. You can start doing it while washing dishes. The, the goal is not to just do it in a certain time. The goal is to have it accessible at all times. Mm. Beautifully said. Are there other, so it sounds like meditation provides the space for effective relating. Yes. Are there other uh, practices or ways of being that you recommend for parents or for others that you, you think can be exponential in, in regards to the investment of time as per how it can enable us to relate to others most effectively. Yeah, you know, it's like, like you said, we don't invest the time, but then we are inefficient. Mm. So yeah, we don't sit for 10 minutes, but yeah, now we've, well we've bled through two hours that we could have, if we just sat for those 10 minutes, we would have been way more effective because we're thinking clearly, we're aligned, we're energetic, mm. we're revived, we're not wasting time on, on the crap of reaction. Yes. You know, when you react to a child, you're gonna spend three hours cleaning up the reaction. Right now you're gonna feel guilty. Then you're going to indulge the kid. Then you're going to take them to the toy store because you feel guilty. Now you spend money because you feel guilty. All would have been to not if you had just been mindful and didn't react in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right? So a lot can be saved by just learning to meditate so that you don't vomit out with all these extraneous reactions and you keep yourself aligned and centered. Mm-hmm. A lot of time is wasted because we're not centered. We don't know what to do with our time. So we're all haphazard. We look busy, but we're completely disorganized and haphazard. Meditation just aligns you and you run through your day like a, like a razor, laser sharp, and you cut through the crap. You know, it teaches you to really be in touch with what you want to do, who you are, and it stops the extraneous things like people-pleasing, procrastination, fear-based resistance, uh, you know, distractions because you're just nervous. You know, so you clean up all that, now you have a more effective being. Mm. Beautifully said. So in this new paradigm of parenting, how, how do you feel that, um, and, and as someone who, you know, I look at, I look at the, the gift that will be my future children as, yeah. as, as the, the greatest legacy I've yet to live. Mm-hmm. Um, in counseling someone like me from the place of, of, uh, of I understand you, you have a beautiful mm-hmm. uh, Maya, as I, as I understand. Yes. yes. Um, what do you feel is... How do you counsel someone who's about to approach their journey into parenting in terms of preparing the space to be ready for that, that journey? Well, I think the hardest lesson for a parent going in is to fathom the impersonal aspect of it. If you don't take it impersonally, you're going to mess it up. You're going to put your ego and take everything personally. You're like, this is my child, like you said, my legacy. And only when you realize that the child you're going to have really has nothing to do with you and should have nothing to do with you and is not a reflection on you, except it does indicate your level of consciousness, but not you in terms of ego, only then you'd be able to engage with it the right way. Beautiful. So I love that because it's challenging. So ostensibly what you're saying is that 
the, the fallacy, if you will, that we yeah. live under is that our children are like, in, in, in some ways, the ultimate reflection of us. Yeah. Yes. They're there. The, and I think that we often see there the ways in which people want their dreams lived out, the dreams that Absolutely. they didn't live themselves. Absolutely. So ostensibly what you're saying is actually they're just in many ways, profound mirrors for our own evolution. Yeah. And it's our role to take ourselves in terms of our agenda out of the picture so as to most effectively... um, See them for who it is they are and be their guides and ushers for their evolution. Instead of impregnating their path with all our shoulds and wants and fears. Fears really are the ones that you want to keep out of your child's life. Mm. But how many of us live fearless lives? Right. Where we're fraught with anxiety, which is what you're seeing in today's world, especially children growing up stressed out and anxious. Yes. Okay, so I, I love this. But there would be some who would be watching and listening who would say, okay, that sounds great, but what about in reality, right? And I know, I know you said it's not some laissez-faire approach. It's not like you're actually saying, oh, I'm just going to lean back and let it all happen, right, you know? Right. So what's, how do you draw the distinction? How, how, because if... We are beset with challenges, yeah. which we are, you know, yeah. in, in this 21st century living um, yeah. all around us. And how do we, and we're not always going to be, you know, as embodied, say, for example, as, as the Buddha or mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. enlightened uh, beings in, mm-hmm. in our way of being day to day. How do we approach the, how, how do we do that? Uh, or yeah. maybe not how do we do that, but how I do we understand. approach it? How do we approach it? Well, it's really about first having the right philosophy, mm-hmm. right? Having the right mind. And you have to cultivate that mind. You have to decide before you become a parent, well, what are really my views on success, on achievement, on potty training, on sleep training? What are they? And deconstruct them from a wisdom perspective, right? Don't just follow the trends because they're part of mainstream. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself, well, does success really indicate worth? Does uh, happiness really need to be a yardstick? Like, who says these things? So in my book, The Awakened Family, I deconstruct these myths because I show parents that they're buying into and feeding themselves with conditioning that is actually toxic and runs counter to their ability to connect to their children. Mm -hmm. Right? So there is a way to parent consciously where you do have conditions for their well-being, but they're conditions that emanate from an organic place, not from a mind-based injunctive place that says you should or you must, uh, not a fear-based place. It really emanates from the organic flow of your child. So even though you had a vision of your child going to Harvard, if your child does better homeschool, you'll homeschool. Mm-hmm. Or if your child does better in a public school versus a, a more uh, you know, different free-spirited school, you send them to a public school. You'll work with the child and the fabric of the child before you. You won't superimpose your conditioning on your child. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So the so it's it's almost uh, the metaphor that comes for me is almost like a, a gardening. You're not trying to you're not trying to turn a rose into a sunflower. Right. You're you're offering the ideal conditions for a sunflower, for example, if that's your your child in, right. in a metaphorical sense, to grow. Correct. But and not if the rose to has if the rose has thorns, don't prune the thorns necessarily. You work your way around it, mm. you know, and you cultivate the the thorns to be an asset rather than a, a hindrance, right? You, so where, the cha- where, the, where there are challenges, whether it be personality, schisms, I mean, I know for which me... Which they're going to be. Yeah, for example, like, well, for me, in a tangible sense, I know I, when I grew up, I was diagnosed with a learning you know, sure. disability, right? right? Quote, unquote. Um, which, 
led me to a, a certain notion of myself. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I will say in this instance, um, I th- my mother was was a, a great asset in terms of helping me see that actually as an asset, mm-hmm. which I believe it is actually because right. it was a visual perceptual right. learning disability, which actually I think my visual perceptual has actually been one of my greatest gifts in right. terms of my right. career. But but in, in essence, that could have been taken as a great a great thorn in my side. Yeah, yeah but uh, she well, she had the wisdom. To turn it around, correct, right, and not get scared by it, or uh, you know, isolated, I- I- isolating you because of it, or creating an outcast mentality in you. She allowed you to integrate it into something bigger, and now it's one of your greatest tools and your greatest, you know, co- um, benefits. Mm. Right. Absolutely right. So what what has been what's been for you one of the great challenges slash great learnings of being a mother? Um, greatest challenges that I could turn around. Yeah, well, it's out, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. as I understand your paradigm, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the fact that I, even though I had been meditating for so many years and a student of psychology for two decades, to see my own ego be so ferocious and uh, unrelenting, that was the, the curse. But I could turn it around, and that's why I teach the way I do, because I use my own ego to my own development. Right? I saw my fallibilities, my foibles, but instead of running away from it, I said, okay, this is a weakness in me that's left over. It's a wound that's left over from my childhood that's now come back into my life saying, grow, grow, heal it. Don't run away from it or yell at your kid because it came up. Don't be angry at your kid because you can't accept your kid. What is it in you that needs to grow? What's stopping you from accepting your kid? So then I had to like, dig deep and like, find out what it was in me that was cre- creating insecurity that really the, the child was just triggering. It wasn't the child per se, it was she was triggering my insecurity that I had not dealt with. You know, many mothers and daughters you'll find, if the daughter's a little overweight, it'll trigger the mother's insecurity about not fitting in. So these are the ways that I began to see my own unconscious play out and used it to elevate. Beautiful. So for those who are, um, for those who are watching, uh, the mothers, the fathers at home, if there were one or two things, and if they're in a place of challenge that you'd recommend aside from meditation, that they could use as perspective shifters in moments of challenge, in moments right. of being exposed to those thorns, what, right. what would those be? Well, I think redefine the problem child. The child is having a problem, is experiencing a problem. The child is not a problem. They're experiencing a problem because of an unmet need. So come to the child with compassion, curiosity, and a desire to connect versus looking at the problem as the entire identity, which then causes you to control and fix the child. So change your perspective instead of looking at the child as the problem to the child experiencing an internal problem depictive of a need. Mm. So that's one perspective changer. And the other one is notice your own energy. Ask yourself, how am I being the problem? How am I creating this problem? Mm. How am I contributing to this problem? How am I perpetuating this problem? Turn the spotlight on yourself. So one is go deeper within the child you know, have x-ray vision to go deeper. Don't just be seduced by the behavior. Go, what is the need? What is the need? What is the need? And the second one is, how am I messing up? How am I messing up? How am I messing up? Mm-hmm. What's my energy? What's my need? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I have a question I, I often ask. Usually I ask the person I'm speaking with, but I'd be interested in actually taking a slight tweak in terms of, of the context of, of parenting or relating. And it was asked to me some years ago, and it was, if there were one thing that you could add to your life, 
and one, and one thing that you could take away that would have the most profound impact in terms of transformative potential in your life, what would that be? So, again, one thing that you would potentially in, it, bring into your life mm -hmm. and one thing that you might let go of, what, mm -hmm. what would that be? I think I wish, you know, wish that I had deconstructed so much more than I had in the past before I became a parent. I eventually got to it, but, you know, I took some time. And I, because, so the, the ideations of others, I think, is something I would let go of. Mm. Societal-based conventions is something I'm against, you know. And I, I fell for a lot of them, and I followed them, thinking that that was the way. I didn't know, you know, no one told me, don't follow. Like now I tell my daughter all the time, don't follow, question, ask, examine, stop, pause, don't just regurgitate convention. So conventional-based ideations are something I wish I'd never gotten into, but I'm increasingly shedding. And the, wish, the thing that I wish I'd had is the courage to go against it, you know? Yeah. The insight, the awareness, the wisdom, you know? Somebody had told me, don't follow mainstream. It may not take you to liberation. I want to acknowledge you for that because I, I think I often look at the people who I, who, I, who I see as teachers in the world and I think to myself, what are their distinct um, ways of being? And uh, I really want to honor you, Dr. Chafali, because t to me, you embody a different way of looking at parenting. Uh, it reminds me oftentimes of, of some of the great uh, teachers of consciousness in terms of the, the way they talk about um, the practices, but actually evoking parenthood, which is, is something that I've very infrequently heard as a path, an authentic path, in fact, in some ways, perhaps our, our greatest path um, to our highest selves and, and also um, beyond, beyond the notion of ourself beyond ourself, which is often manifest um, in how that generation continues on. Um, you, you've evoked a, a question and, and a way of being in me that is that, that I think will be uh, bearing fruit uh, in the next generation. So I'm grateful. I, I really want to honor you for, for the conversation that you're, that you're calling out for all of us. The reason I do it is not only because of its evocative capacities for awakening, but really where else do we look to change the planet? Mm. Where should we look? We can't blame the adult child who's now deeply conditioned and poisoned. I can't blame the, the, the racist person who's in his 40s. I can't blame anybody, really. But I have to start some, we have to start somewhere. So healing the adult is going to be so hard to undo all that the, the adult is packed with. So where do we begin? We begin with the child. Who's taking care of the child? The parent. So that's why I do the work I do. Because if there's any hope for changing anything, it's to change the mind of the parent. You change the mind of the parent and you clean up the, the mind of the parent, then you have a hope to raise the child, at least in the line toward the right values, the right vision, right? Towards oneness consciousness, towards internal reflection, towards authentic expression. But if I don't fix the, pa fix the parent, how will we ever clean up the child? Mm -hmm. So that's why I do the work I do. Yeah, it's beautiful. I actually want to, um, this, this is your most recent book, yes? Yes, The Awakening Family. Awakening Family. family. Yes. Um, absolutely profound. Uh, I recommend that everyone goes and gets this book. It will, it will be a revelation. Uh, and I know that you have also, I mean, 
you speak. I've seen you speak now a couple of times on Oprah's stage um, at the Archangel Summit. I know you have a big event coming up. Can you tell yes. us about that a little bit? So, uh, you know, my intention is to spread consciousness in an egalitarian, democratic, easily accessible way for parents to attend, come together. There's something about the live experience of being together with other parents and meet other parents who are engaged in conflict and terror and fear and relate with them and then see how they deconstruct so that you can deconstruct. So with that intention, I created a weekend where parents can gather together. It's uh, every year, it's at Evolve. Uh, it's in Long Beach, California this year in September, where parents can gather together to deconstruct things that are obscuring their ability to connect with their children. I love it. I, I actually, uh, as you know, I'm a huge believer in events because uh, yeah. I think oftentimes, I mean, I love the book for its ability to to allow us to get lost and be informed and be inspired, but there's 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 not much like connecting with another person yes. who's facing the same challenges. Yes. Um, and, and the truly transformative possibility that I think uh, a weekend can represent. So Thank you. I'm, yes. I'm, excited. I'm yes. excited about that. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, before we wrap up? Just that, you know, when one undertakes a path of deconstructing what's been put on them, like don't be afraid to stop and say, is this working for me? Like even things like as, as profound and personal as religion, as profound and, per, and personal as your marriage, profound and personal as your weight, as your face, as your beauty, as your success, as your achievement. Stop and appraise everything in your life. Ask, is this working for me? Are these my definitions or is it someone else's definitions? Just the exercise of stopping to deconstruct will allow you perhaps to have a different perspective and maybe you'll arrive at a different place. Maybe that which is blocking your freedom is something that is within your own mind that you can release. It's in your power. Beautifully said. Dr. Shivali, it's an honor. Thank you so Thank much you. for being here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Shafali. Um, I know I did. Uh, the the idea of bringing children into the world and being the best versions of ourselves and being conscious um, is, is so powerful to me. Um, I, I recently heard someone say that it's actually not our job to mold our children, but actually to approach the world with fresh eyes and learn uh, of and, f and through them. So I've really been uh, taking that to heart, as well as just approaching my love and appreciation for my own parents with new eyes. So, so grateful to your mom and dad. Uh, so much love for you. And um, I hope this was inspirational for you in your own process, either with your parents or as a parent. And uh, please go ahead and tag myself and Dr. Shafali at Michael Trainer at Dr. Shafali, and let us know what lessons you garnered. Um, please go ahead and leave uh, comments. If you like the podcast, it'd mean the world to me if you subscribed and left a review, rating and review over on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening, Google Play. Um, and if you have any feedback, you can always reach out to me at michael at peakmind.org. And it's my hope and intention that the podcast is valuable for you. I really want this community to be something super powerful. I'm, I'm actually working on uh, an incredible project, which I'll share more in the near future. But um, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, please go out there and live your inspired life.